Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. This week, what is the deal with SoulCycle? Why are they so popular in certain circles? Why is my wife addicted? Do they really speak to everybody? And is the soul part of it? Uh, what do they mean by that? We're going to talk to one of the founders, a very impressive woman who who found co-founded uh, SoulCycle and built it into a massive brand. This is this fits into our sort of broadening or pivot of the podcast to uh, conversations that aren't just meditation focused. But uh, uh, Elizabeth Cutler is a meditator, although we 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 don't get to that really till the back half of the interview. But it's there's a lot here to listen for. Trust me. Uh, before we get to uh, Ms. Cutler, uh, one piece of business, and then we're going to take your calls. The piece of business is this has to do with you, podcast listener. We are uh, setting up a survey. We want to figure out. I talked about how we've been toying with broadening the focus of the podcast beyond just meditation. Uh, so we're trying to get a sense from you whether you're you're down with that and whether there are other things we should do better. So if you have the chance, you'd be doing us a big service if you went to 10percenthappiercom slash survey. And we want to know what you're looking for out of the show. How can we do things better? Other things you're interested in learning about? Who else do you want to hear from? Any other formats you might enjoy? Go to the survey. You can submit as many ideas as you want over the next couple of weeks. And then we'll start uh, operationalizing them. All right. That's the business. Let's do the phone calls. Here's my caveat. You know it. Um, I am not a, a mental health professional. I'm not a meditation teacher. Just a reporter who likes to meditate and yammer on about it. I have not heard these calls in advance. So I just do my best to answer. Here's number one. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is Alex from Snohomish, Washington. Um, big fan. Uh, appreciate um, everything that you're doing. Um, I know you give yourself a lot of flack for not doing a good enough job to convince people to meditate with your first book, um, but that really was um, what set me on the path um, about four years ago. So um, kudos and well done. I really appreciate it. Uh, my question is, um, I'm actually about to be going on my first retreat. Um, it's a seven-day um, seven retreat. Um, I'm currently meditating between 30 and 45 minutes a day. But just from, I've, I've never been on a retreat, and uh, I was basically hoping to get any ideas or advice on kind of how to hold on to those benefits um, once I leave the retreat and kind of re-enter real life. Uh, so anything you can um, advise on that, uh, I would greatly appreciate. Thank you. Bye. First of all, congratulations to you for establishing such a robust habit and for taking the leap and going on retreat. That's just, I mean, you you should just feel really good about that, and clearly it's doing a lot for you. And so just want to say that up front. Before we talk about the end of the retreat, you should be thinking, my friend, about bracing yourself for, go- for going in. Uh, that is the much, in my experience, that's the much more challenging thing than leaving. I've written about this. I've spoken about this. I find meditation retreats to be incredibly useful, but also really challenging. That would, that would be a nice way to put it. I often think of the first couple of days of a retreat as like a you know, if you're on a plane and the landing gear is not working and you have to crash into the runway and they foam the runway, that's what it feels like to me. You know, you're, you're leaving the busyness and hectic nature of your daily life and then you're walking into this environment where it's completely silent and all you're doing is sitting and walking and eating in a meditative fashion 
all day, every day, and it can it's like a bad case of jet lag. That that being said, despite the fact that I've been very open about the the many uh, difficulties and uh, torturous aspects of going on retreat, I've gotten a ton out of it. It is just a you know again you don't have I do, I feel I feel like it's incumbent upon me to say to anybody listening who who, who feels like they are never going to do a retreat if you if that's you if you feel like I'm never going to do a retreat I'm feeling slightly alienated that you're even talking about this let me just say that you don't need to do a retreat you can still be an A plus meditator no big deal but if you're into it I think there's a lot to be said for it because you're just taking the practice to a, a new level and you're it's all you're doing and it, you just interesting things happen when you up the dosage in that way, you just get an experience of your mind that that you will have never had before. And it might not be awesome. You know, this is nobody said this process is going to be easy, um, but it is really worth it. Again, in my experience. So to, to your actual question, I, I am not an expert in reentry issues. I've done it many times, having come off retreat. And in my experience, I've never really found this is not going to say good things about me, but I, I just usually hop right back into the stream or the data stream and, you know, check my emails and learn about what's happening in the news, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I probably have a lot to learn and probably not much to teach about how to do reentry. But in terms of holding on to the benefits, I think just making sure that you are continuing with your daily practice is a great way to, you know, stay in touch with the thing and also to, you know, uh, keep a, a steady frequency of retreats. You know, I, I kind of was episodic in my retreat attendance. I was going every other year on a seven to 10 day retreat and under some uh, gentle pressure from my meditation teacher. And I realized I'm now going to up it to at least once a year. And I think that actually is, you know, I've seen uh, we had some previous guests Richie Davidson and uh, Danny Goldman, they wrote a book called Altered Traits, where they really surveyed all of the science around meditation. And one of their takeaways was that the real heavy-hitting impact of meditation often happens on retreat. So I think the fact that you're doing this is great. I think if you come out of it and feel like it was worthwhile for you, then I would be looking toward uh, establishing a regular rhythm. And then one last thing about the actual retreat, the one thing I, it took me a long time to learn what I'm about to say to you, and maybe you can just do it right away, is that I actually didn't fully commit to the retreat experience. I rebelled against it for my first many, many retreats. It was only on my most recent one last year where I, I really, you know, they tell you do everything, everything, even quote unquote behind the scenes when you're in your room and nobody's looking everything at a slow and mindful pace. And so, but I was actually in my room, I was just acting like I was at home and I would, I would go running and stuff like that. And, um, you know, uh, during, you know, uh, during the break periods and on the last retreat, I stopped all exercise. I literally, every step I took, you know, uh, whether I was out of my room or in my room, I was going in slow motion like you're supposed to do. And I was really trying to pay attention. And I found that that had a really that was an accelerant to my progress during the retreat. And so that would be my big advice rather than what to do on the back end. Uh, but again, to those of you who hate the fact that we're even talking about meditation retreats because that you're never going to do that, your life doesn't wouldn't accommodate it or you just don't want it, you're a one to two to five to ten to 15 minute a day meditator and that's it, 
no shame in that game. It doesn't matter. It's totally you are getting a lot out of what you're doing, and and there's no pressure to to go further. If if you want to go further, I think it's great, but it's not a must. All right, call number two. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Lily, and I am so grateful for your book. I think um, has made such an impact on so many people, especially me. Um, and I listen to your podcast every Wednesday, and I really look forward to it and hearing all of the different and wonderful people who um, are being positively impacted by meditation. So my question to you is, I have recently started meditating on sounds. I find that the breath is good for me, but too many thoughts enter. I can't stop them. It's like the floodgates are open, and, and I have I really do feel like a failure. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that much about TM, but I found that just focusing on the sounds in my surroundings and not attaching any judgment, which is hard, but uh, just whatever is around me, birds chirping, cars, traffic honking, um, or silence even, um, a fan, whatever it is, uh, is really useful and it really um, helps me to just narrow my focus on that. I don't hear you talking a lot about meditating on sounds and your surroundings, so I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Thanks so much, and, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. Thank you. What you're doing sounds awesome. I don't talk about meditating on sound that much because it's not a huge emphasis in my meditation. That It's not to say I never do it, but I don't feel qualified to talk that much about it. Um, although I, I think, again, in my own experience, it's been incredibly valuable when I have done it. And we have a number of meditations on sound in the 10% Happier app. And my co-author on my last book, uh, which was called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, Jeff Warren, the great meditation teacher Jeff Warren, um, uh, has did some great writing within that book about meditating on sounds. And so I don't have much to say to you other than to, to the extent that it's meaningful, say that it sounds like you're doing, you're doing great. That's great practice. And um, I think that it's a really important, for, and I think for everybody listening, there are, you know, the meditation bazaar, B-A-Z-A-A-R, you know, is big and, and noisy, uh, which is sort of, sort of kind of um, maybe not the right word to use, given that most of meditation is pretty quiet. Um, but it's big and noisy, and there's a lot of people hawking lots of wares and lots of styles in meditation. And I, I think, you know, it's it's good to figure out slowly and methodically what works for you and you just uh you know went through that process and and stumbled upon or maybe stumbled would not be the right word but uh, found um the thing that is working for you and i think it sounds like um you you've handled this really well so go forth all right let's hear from elizabeth cutler who, who is as i mentioned one of the co-founders of soul cycle soul cycle I, I didn't explain what it is at the top it is a chain of indoor cycling studios and so indoor cycling had been around for a long time uh, and these guys came around and, and turned it into a much – she and her, her co-founder, Julie Rice, turned it into a much more boutique high-end experience. And they are now all over the country and beyond. Uh, they're expensive, uh, which is one of the knocks on them. But when people get into it, they love it. And I have watched this happen with my wife. I actually dragged – and I talk about this with uh, Elizabeth. I dragged my wife – dragged my wife to a – uh, Soul Cycle class almost exactly a year ago, 
and she did not want to go. And when we walked in, she whispered in my ear that she was going to kill me. And uh, we walked out, and her – it is just amazing to watch a brand so thoroughly colonize an individual with whom I live. Uh, she has just – it has changed her life. That is not an overstatement in a great way. And yet there are people who uh, – there are critics of SoulCycle, and so we're going to talk to Elizabeth about about some of the, the critiques of the brand. But they've done really interesting work, and they've been super successful, and they sold – Elizabeth and Julie both left uh, SoulCycle and after having sold it to Equinox, and so it was a very successful exit. That's to, that's the, to use um, <laughs> the business speak for uh, – they made a lot of money. And she's a really interesting person, a really smart and successful person. And she also is a meditator. As I mentioned at the top, we didn't – you usually start with meditation on this podcast. But in this time, uh, we're, we're really – we dive into sort of uh, what, what SoulCycle is all about and their story of building the company. And then we get to meditation toward the end. So I think there's a lot to learn here. And I hope you enjoy it. Here's Elizabeth Cutler. Well, first of all, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah. So I was. Uh, my wife is at SoulCycle right now. She was going to come, That's but awesome. uh, she was really excited when I heard, uh, when she heard that I was going to be talking to you. <laughs> but she decided to do a double class today. Oh so my god, <laughs> she's not here. <laughs> Good for her. And and she. So the backstory is I. I have done sort of regular spin classes for many, many years mm-hmm. and at, at Equinox, which mm-hmm. I guess owns you guys, mm-hmm. um, and had a bad attitude about SoulCycle. Mm-hmm. Just thought it was... It happens. It yes, happens. I didn't, I we didn't, don't want it to happen, but it does happen. I had a bad attitude because I, I thought it was... First of all, I have a lot to say on this, and I know it's supposed to be an interview of you, so I'll, I'll get it out. No, I'm very we'll interested in what okay. you're saying. <laughs> so I would do Soul uh, spin at Equinox. Um, and so I thought SoulCycle, just from a distance, the whole soul aspect of it, that, that word itself was kind of off-putting to me, and, mm. and the candles, and the... Uh, I just started... I didn't like any of it. To me, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm constitutionally sort of allergic to ooey-gooey... And now you're of, doing a podcast called 10% yeah, Happier. I know. I know, no, no. Look, there are many ways in which Life I'm Life is so surprising. Um, <laughs> we'll get into many of them. Uh, so... So I had this bad attitude about SoulCycle, except we, every summer, uh, spend time in Montauk, uh, which is, for the uninitiated, uh, on the furthest eastern tip of Long Island. Um, And my wife's family's been going there since she was a kid. And there's a SoulCycle there, and I wanted to exercise, and so I went to the SoulCycle. And uh, continue to have a bad attitude about it, because, as I'll say later, I was doing it wrong. Um... But my wife, who has had trouble getting an exercise habit together for a long time, one day I asked her, do you want to come? And she, I was very surprised. She said yes. And we walk in, and for those who haven't been to SoulCycle before, there's a loud music playing, a lot of people, and it's like... Well, first you're greeted by lovely human beings, but... <laughs> yes. Yes. But for, for, for us, we walk in, the people are quite a bit younger than us. They're shopping and, and bustle and bustle. And my wife says in my ear, get me out of here. And so I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, I've just made a big mistake bringing Aww. my wife to this thing. This is a happy ending to this. Um, so we go into class. She's in the back. I'm in the kind of front-ish, and I'm thinking, I'm worrying the whole time we're in this class that she's going through the stages of grief, and uh, she's angry at me, and all this stuff. We walk out of there, and I'm ready to you know, get eviscerated by my, by my wife, and she says, you know what? I really liked it. 
<laughs> and that's amazing. She became an incredibly avid soul cycler. It's the mm-hmm. first time in our ten or eleven years together where she's had a really abiding commitment to her own health. Mm-hmm. And um we go together that's all amazing. the time. We know the instructors, we have our favorite instructors, we uh it's just a great thing for us to do as a couple and you know when we she comes with me on uh she's right now she's taking a little time off from work so she comes with me on when i travel and uh so we're going to la tomorrow and we will go to so cycle we'll sort of we figure it out in advance where we're gonna go when are we gonna go uh so it's become a great thing for us um and i think for her the big the reason why she liked it was it's dark mm-hmm. and yeah. uh that she didn't feel judged and the all the positive affirmations from the teacher, which for me are hard to deal with sometimes, sometimes not. And increasingly, I'm op- open to them. But for me, as a skeptic and a cynic and a, a an, an addict of irony, it's a little hard sometimes to deal with. It wasn't uh, certainly wasn't a, uh, something that drew me in. But for her, she finds that really meaningful uh, at times. So anyway, I've said a whole lot, but um, it's made a big difference for us. That's amazing. It's great. That's a great story. It's really um, touching to hear about that. We've I've been a little bit away from the business for the last I don't know, year or two, and uh, it's just it's it's lovely to see that people remain continue to have the experiences that Julie and I set out to provide, and the idea that you can find a safe place to walk into, even if you're nervous, and you take the risk to do it, and you again, take that risk to get on the bike and to go on a journey um, with other people, but mostly for yourself. And you can find irony in those, in those rooms and you can find um, whatever it is that you want to tap into. And that's what those rooms were really designed to provide. It was uh, not only a great time and the physical aspects of it so that you can have this kind of, you know, um, fantastic workout if you ate a lot of cheesecake the night before. <laughs> um, but you can also find a place where you can touch something that matters to you. So, um, and I just find like, you know, and particularly like around the things that you talk about, you know, we're all having such these human experiences. There, there's a lot that happens uh, in everyone's life and people need a secular space to be able to feel whatever that is. And it's, you know, soul cycle can be that it can also be a cheese, cheesecake burning factory, uh, which is good. Um, and so it's just wonderful. Or you can just get lost in the music because the music's fantastic. Um, and, and so anyway, I love to hear a that couples go together because that's really cool to do with your the person that you you love and um it's great that she's found something that she's allowed herself to become committed to um it's such a hard thing with fitness and changing any habit is so difficult that to to find something that speaks to you is that's really cool so thank you for sharing that with me. i've never seen somebody sort of embrace a brand the way she has i mean she has all the gear she mm-hmm. just knows about all the instructors she'll go across town if there's an instructor mm-hmm. she likes um it's such a, it's really, it's, as somebody who's personally trying to build a brand around 10% Happier, it's mm-hmm. instructive on many levels to, mm-hmm. to watch what is it that speaks to her and sort of what are the, what are the ways in which she'll engage. Um, and it's, it's, so it's also just speaks to your, the success that you've had in, in making this brand so meaningful to so many people and so lucrative, frankly. Well, it's all those things. And I I think really the main thing that it comes from is that, you know, Julie and I wanted to create an experience that mattered to people. 
And if you start with that as a baseline, um, you know, it matters if my clothes smell and I need to get new clothes. So yes, there's a 10% business that is, you know, that is the fitness apparel. Um, and when we started the company, there was nobody curating fitness apparel. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of things. We started in 2006. And that's a long time now. Um, but at the time, it was it was unusual to see uh, a lot of the things that, that you see everywhere now. Um, but we really did it as a service as much as anything. Of course, like we're business people, so we, it needs to be, you know, profitable. Um, but the, but the reality around everything that we did was really to be in service of our riders and to be in service of the community. And, and we really built SoulCycle as a hospitality company, mm. um, not a fitness company. Mm. Um, and so I think that looking at things through that lens and through that kind of heart, that's what makes a difference in terms of people's experiences and how they, how they connect with one another, themselves and the brand. I, it's interesting you say a hospitality company because I get that. I get, I get that now sort of thinking about my experiences at SoulCycle through that lens that the people at the front desk like get to know your name. The teachers get to know you. They call you out and it really does feel different than a straight up impersonal workout. Yes. Well, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the key to it, right? Is we wanted to build a company where, <laughs> you know, it's funny, my husband's a banker and, or was a banker. And, um, I think it drove him crazy for me to wake up in the morning and be like, so psyched to go to work. And I loved working at SoulCycle. I loved building that company. I loved the people that we worked with. I loved the teams that we built. I loved the riders. I loved the whole thing for me to the people who took care of the studios, everything. Um, and, I think we wanted to create that kind of environment for everyone who worked there so that that we felt that if you inspire people to feel that way about their lives and their jobs, then the people who walk through the front door as customers would feel that. Mm. And if we could create that kind of virtuous circle, that we could really change a lot of the way that things had been done. And that's really what we set out to do. Um, And, you know, I think I think the idea of, you know, people feeling motivated because the people around them are motivated it's the very it it can it can it can lead to a lot of things that are sort of unexpected um both in how we manage the company and in how we saw the communities grow inside of of these various corners and everybody would walk into a place and you'd feel like my soul cycle is the soul cycle and then you go to los angeles for the weekend and you walk in there and you you feel at home because that soul cycle is the soul cycle to that community, but it's also embracing to you. So, so uh, tell me the creation story. How did how did this company come about? Well, it came about um, in, in a, a lot of different ways, but mainly the way that it happened for me anyway was I got I had two children. I had lived in Colorado for a long time, and Julie, my business partner, had lived in LA. And when I moved to New York, I we had these two kids and I gained a ton of weight. And one of my best girlfriends was like, I, I had 60 pounds to lose. And she said, you have to get cardio. If you don't get cardio, you're not going to take that weight off. And she just really said it to me straight, which was great. Um, because, you know, there weren't very many people in my life who I thought would really say it to me so straight. And so I've always had the gratitude to her that she just was honest with me. And so she took me to this class and I did the class. Like I could do the class. A class of what? A, a spin class. A spin Excuse class. me. I went to like a, a spin class. Indoor cycling. Indoor cycling class. And 
Um, and I had always been a hiker because I lived in Colorado and I never thought about it as working out because I would just hike with my girlfriends and or my friends or my dog or whatever. And, you know, by the time you're done, you've, you know, talked about a million things or talked about your boyfriend or, you know, this thing or that thing or worked out that problem. And by the time I got down, I didn't really think about it as exercise. And so I was really looking once I realized that I needed to get cardio and I don't like to work out. I don't like exercise. Um, and I was really intimidated by the offerings that were out there and I didn't know how to use gym equipment. And I tried to, I just, I tried a lot of things that just didn't resonate with me at that time. And so knowing that I could do this one thing, I kind of felt like, well, if I could do it, then really anybody could do it. And then Julie and I, um, met through a teacher that we were both riding with and we realized that we shared a lot of common values. Where, Where were you doing spin at this time? We have, we also, um, had, spent some time in the summer in Eastern Long Island and there was a studio a long time ago there. Um, and my friend had taken me to that studio and, um, Julie was riding here in the city at the Reebok club. Yeah. That's where I was doing it. Yeah. Yes. yes. And Equinox, but then it became Equinox. Right. Yes, right. Yes. And, um, anyway, we just weren't finding the classes that in our neighborhoods and at the times that we wanted and the experience that we wanted, et cetera. So we just decided to create it. Um, and so we met in, and the end of 2005, and we were open uh, in April of 2006. So we did it really quickly. We found our first location on Craigslist. We hired most... Which was on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Upper West Side of Manhattan, close to all the subways. It was a former dance studio um, that was teeny tiny. And uh, we had 33 bikes in there. And, you know, there were days when there was one person riding in a class, (laughs) but we just felt like... We were so excited to see the people who had walked through the front door because we had no signage and kind of had to weave your way back there to finally find the studio. And um, that's really where the hospitality aspect was born, because by the time you got to the front desk, we really were so grateful and excited to see you that we wanted you to have a great experience. And so we worked hard to provide that. How was the type of spin or indoor cycling that you were teaching different from what was being taught? What was your innovation? Well, the innovation was manifold. Um, we, you know, it's never one thing, it's a hundred things. Um, but I would say of the few things that were sort of front and center, one was creating fitness careers for fitness professionals. So at the time, most people who worked in fitness would pick up like a class here, a class there, a class here. They didn't have health insurance. They didn't have a lot of stability and they were tired by the time they got to the class and they were kind of phoning it in and the gyms. You know, in fairness, like this was something that was a profit loss center for them. It's not something they had to provide, not something they really, I mean, they wanted to provide it, but it wasn't something that they really cared about because they had to spend money on it. So for us, we felt like if we changed the model where this was our focus and it was our profit center, we charged per class and did a pay per class model, then we would be able to pay the instructors better than anybody in the market, provide them health insurance and a lot of, uh, and as we grew and, and were profitable, we, they had clothing allowances and a variety of other things that we thought would be a value um, to, to them and to the people who work for us. And so we really thought about creating fitness careers, which we did. Um, that was one thing. The second thing. So you had happier instructors. Happier, more inspired. They made playlists. They, they were required to make playlists for each cl- new playlist for each class. Like prior to then, like sometimes instructors would have five playlists and they would just rotate through them. It didn't matter if they were six years old. 
um, we just felt like music was something that was music appreciation is something that's a cornerstone of of the work that we developed at Soul Cycle, and we really wanted people to be able to connect with the music in addition to creating an environment for these instructors to like a freedom within framework where they could be authentically who they were, not phoning it in. So you know they could be ironic and they could be funny and they could be it could be poignant because there could be something going on that everyone's feeling, and you know for everyone to feel that together can be, is important to acknowledge. Knowledge. And at least we thought. Um, and so we really, you know, we really worked hard to find a way to to help these instructors feel like they had a platform to express themselves and and to connect with the people who were their riders, um, because that's actually what we wanted to experience. And so in doing that, um, I think when you do that, combining it with hospitality, obviously cleanliness is next to godliness and, um, you know, just a, a variety of different things around technology um, so that, you know, at that time, there really wasn't an environment in New York City where you could click on a bike and reserve it and plan your fitness. So it became part of your lifestyle. So we were the first ones to do that so as well. A, at then, uh, what I would imagine was a website where you could reserve your bike. Exactly. Yeah. But then, yeah. this was pre-apps. That's right. But so, so to me, as a rider, the innovation is really much – the innovations are much more – I, I check on everything you just said. I, I agree those are innovations as well. But to me, as a rider who had – you know, a, a spin career preceding Soul Cycle, that the innovations are much more technical, which is that the actual riding experience is different. Uh, I was, when in my anti Soul Cycle phase, one of my big reasons, aside from the sort of soul of it all, uh, was that I thought it was too easy, mm-hmm. way too easy. And then I realized I was doing it wrong because you guys do rhythm riding. Mm-hmm. And most soul, uh, spin classes that I had been taking. Every spin class that I'd been taking up until then was really about, it was much more regimented where the music is playing, but um, and it's not completely um, disconnected from the ride, but you, you're you basically told, okay, for the next 30 seconds, you're going to sprint and then recover, 30 seconds sprint and then recover. But in, in Soul Cycle, actually, the whole time you are riding to the rhythm of whatever song is playing, you may do some sprinting, but when you recover, you're recovering back to the baseline of the beat. Mm-hmm. When I realized that I had been doing it wrong, the rides became much harder because to stay on the rhythm for every song, the whole class, whereas in a regular spin class, actually, your recovery, you can be riding incredibly slow. That struck me as a big difference. And the other one is you actually have on-the-bike choreography. So it's not just riding the bike. You're actually doing these kind of crunches and what you call tap backs, all of which are sort of abdominal exercises when done correctly. At first, I thought those were complete nonsense um and i still have some questions about them but um i realized over time that actually if you do them with the right form that it is another uh in fact it's very hard to do on the rhythm oh sure it's difficult yes absolutely uh, but if you're doing with the right form you actually are getting an abdominal workout so that's the point yeah those strike me as innovations as well my my on the right you absolutely yeah. are. And of course, like I would forget the cornerstone <laughs> to mention the cornerstone of really what Soul Cycle is about, which is a full body workout. I mean, that's the point, right? And riding to the beat of the rhythm. Um, so, yes, you, way to go, Danny. <laughs> I'm here to help. This is a safe place. <laughs> as it should be, as it should be. Um, yes. So that was really that was a big turning point and innovative thing that we we did feel strong to it's so funny it's like second nature i think that's probably why i, I neglected to mention it i'm sure if julie was here she would have said it first um uh, but basically yes um riding to the beat of the rhythm and staying staying connected with the music is also like incredible for your brain 
Um, so what happens is that, and I'm not a scientist, but there have been many scientists who have come to SoulCycle and been writing and told me amazing stories about what happens to your nervous system when you, when you, and especially in a tribal environment when, you know, this whole, everybody's doing it together. And we just kind of felt like it, a, it was a more fun way to ride and B, it really allowed us to develop something that would be a full body workout, which we thought was important because we wanted SoulCycle to be something that was efficient. Uh, people are so busy um, and they, they need to be able to check a few different boxes when they come to work out. Um, so you're a thousand percent right. I mean, the rhythm ride was remains to this day to be super critical to the way that people ride. And if you are doing the choreography and you have enough resistance on, and you're really listening to what your instructor says, like the ride is very difficult, can be very, very challenging. The great news is, is that if you are a beginner, you can also t- dial it back and like be it's in the dark um, and you can be in the back and you can figure it out. You know, you don't have to know exactly what you're doing day one. You know, you can find your way and it's not so difficult to find your way um, once you, you go for a few times, which I think makes it accessible, um, which, which I feel is very important. I mean, we have a significant epidemic going on and people need, everyone needs cardio, like human beings need cardio. So, you know, if, we just want people to, to get cardio and, and if they can find a place in that room that's safe and, and uh, be able to do it, it's great. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. I have so many things to ask you. I'm just trying to figure out like what the order is. Oh. So let me just ask. <laughs> I thought per- we were going to talk about meditation. <laughs> we are going to talk about meditation. I've broken oh, I my feel, rule. I feel so badly. I would have begged Julie to come. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we're going to get to meditation, but we we started on this, so I'm going to stick with Let's it. Let's do it. But so here's I'm my pers- for anything. Here's my personal question, which is, 
I still think, I still think that is I like this. I, no question about it. I like a Soul Cycle class better than I like a sort of a generic spin class. But I still think, even though I turn my resistance up high, it is easier because of is less sprinting. You don't have the monitor in front of you that's telling you know most Soul Cycle. Sorry, most spin classes, indoor cycling classes, actually tell you what your speed and RPM and all that is. So you've got this number in front of you that actually I find makes me miserable. Um, so I don't like it, but it does motivate me to work harder. Uh, you see how many calories you're burning. You don't do any of that, which I love that you don't do. But I still and, – and tell me I'm wrong, but I still suspect with no evidence that somehow I'm, I'm not working as hard as I was before. Am I completely wrong? Well, you might not be, but the thing is that's really on you. So, I mean, I know when I work hard at something, and I know when I don't. And you don't need the monitor. I don't need a monitor to tell me if I'm not doing my best. I need to just ask myself, are you really doing your best? And I know what the answer is. So if I want to work harder, that's on me. I can absolutely do that. I don't need somebody to show me that. And I, I think it is very important, actually. And, and there is a place for the experience that you're describing. And a lot of people like it. And they should continue to like it. For me and for a lot of people, what is special, one other aspect you know, like I said, it's never one thing, it's a hundred things. But one of those things is that we are so plugged in every minute of every day. Mm-hmm. It's going, coming back to the meditation, right? And so to be able to do your workout where the only person that you are really accountable to in that room is you. And to have that be what, it, that's my motivation. Like I'm accountable to me right now for these 45 minutes. I'm not distracted by the incoming dopamine hits that I am getting from my phone or the needs of other people or the, you know, misery that I heard about on my way over here. Like my time in that room is to work that out so that I leave here stronger, better, smarter, like my best self. And then I can go out and and make my life like a more impactful, better, better thing, better life. And, and from, and, and for both me and Julie, we feel very strongly that those kinds of resets are so few and far between now and so hard to access. And honestly, I understand why. Like, we're all super addicted to our to our stuff. Like everybody is. But if this is a place where we can unplug and really feel our humanity, that is something that's very powerful and not that easy to access. So um, just because of all the distractions that are out there. So that is that is really why there's no clock in the room, why we do keep it pretty analog. Um, and we can use the digital stuff around it, of course. Um, but that that's why. And and the and the truth is that there are people who need the who need those numbers and need monitor, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are ways for them to do that through, you know, wearables and things like that so that they can they can check what they've done in that class. And and then they'll they'll be able to know like where their baselines are and things like that if they need that kind of data. Yeah, I find that removing the data makes me much more much happier. But I do have this nagging conversation <laughs> with myself of like, am I working hard enough? And I know there's a resistance knob you can turn up your resistance, and I try to be pretty tough on myself about that. But anyway, let's not go too. Well, far I down think the if hole. you, I think, I think to to clean it up though, you know, if you use the if you use the data that you, that it's easily accessible, whether it's like on or not, there's lots of different. I, I don't use it, so I'm not really the right person to to talk to about it. But I know that a lot of people do. So if you have that, then you just know I did that. 
And then it's then you don't have to have the nagging. Yeah. <laughs> the nagger the nagger can be quiet. Yeah, then my nagger's never quiet. But <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that too. I know, I know, I know. So you so talked hard. about the tribal aspect, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a really powerful word and actually a power mm-hmm. a powerful in practice too, because again, my previous spin experiences were you know, you are in a room with other people, but it's not as crowded as most Soul Cycle. It's not dark. It it doesn't the teacher um, it doesn't have the same kind of atmospherics, and um, it's not trying. The, most of those classes that I experienced personally weren't trying as hard to create a sort of sense of unity. And uh, I think that tribal aspect, as it turns out, is quite powerful, at least in my experience. Um, and you also mentioned before this sort of secular. I don't know if you use use the word secular, but I don't know if you use the word I'm about to use, sort of spirituality. Uh, some of my Jewish friends have called Soul Cycle Spinagogue. Um, <laughs> I love and, that. And so, so, talk a little bit about the spiritual aspect of it. That it, it can be, it, it can be quite powerful for many people in that way. And also, I think we're at a time. I know we're at a time. The data show we're at a time where organized religion has less of a hold on the average American than yeah. it used to. And do you think things like Soul Cycle and also CrossFit and um, many of these other sort of boutique fitness um, companies are filling that gap. Well, they're filling a gap. There's no question about that. Um, and for us, it was, I mean, it's called Soul Cycle, so it was a t- intentional. Um, I think, you know, I don't know. Uh, I know that we wanted it to become what it is, but we, I, I don't know that we were sure that we were going to be. There was a lot of, you know, we had a lot of hills to climb, no pun intended. <laughs> um but I personally, you know, I know Julie feels this way, too. We it's kind of like I was saying before, I, I think people do need a secular place. And, and I think that it is true that people, you know, we're we're all we're tribe tribal. We, we are human beings are. They have been for uh, tens of thousands of hundred, maybe I don't know, a long time. And um it's interesting that at this point, you know, we people are sort of moving away from more organized religion, but yet still people have a need to find something that's, you know, connected with heart or connected with spirit or connected with something that is is bigger than they are. And also it's nice what I like about the, the soul cycle room is like it's it's dark and it's is loud, so it's also but it's also like quiet, so you can be alone together um without having to be uh you can so you can be really vulnerable, but you it, and I've cried on the bike tons of times, but it's dark and it's loud, so no one can hear me. And it's just kind of nice to be able to feel safe to kind of let that go, whatever it is. Um, and I just, you know, there's just so much suffering that I just it's, can, I mean, we're all seeing and trying to figure out how to process and just knowing about so much more um, of what's going on and and so many great things as well. Um, I do think that that fitness is filling a role for that in many ways. Um and I think a lot of it has to do with the teachers and the people who are running these places and the kind of intention that they set and the um, how they what kind of an, uh, an environment that gets cultivated. Um, but it will be really interesting to see what happens going forward because it does seem like we all need something that is secular but not off-putting. I mean, there's a lot. It's it's interesting and and and. In some ways, you know, fitness is a very easy way to do that because you can opt in or out however you're feeling that day. Let me ask you a slightly tricky question. Um, you talk, You said earlier 
everybody needs cardio. We have this epidemic of, I assume you were referring to the epidemic of obesity. Is that really a health crisis? I yeah, guess. it's a health crisis. I, I think there's no question about it. Um, but do, do you, I wonder, do you think SoulCycle is reaching a diverse enough audience? I mean, it's expensive for one, yeah. it's 30 bucks a class. Yeah. Um, you, most of your, if not all of your outposts are in pretty well-heeled neighborhoods mm-hmm. around the country. Yeah. Um, there was a, I don't know, do you know the comedian Michael Che? He's on Saturday yes. Night Live. He's yeah. an incredibly talented yes. guy. Yeah, I happened the other day to be watching one of his Netflix specials, and he was on a rant about the power of white women. I can't do it justice, but it was very funny. And mm-hmm. one of the th- he he dropped within that rant a Soul Cycle reference, mm-hmm. and it is true. I think just based on my own unscientific sampling, but quite a large data set, it's mostly white women in the classes. And do, so, have you thought about that? Um, and do you sure. think there's a way? Are there ways to change that? Do you need to change it? Are you thinking about it, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I can only speak to what we did, and um, I think it continues today. I know that it does. So well, that's the, a reference to the fact that you you got you and Julie left. The the, company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, in 2017, 16, we left in 16, okay. so two years ago. So to answer your question directly, we always thought about it. Um, and from the very beginning, we really tried to f- think about like how, how we can do this. And one of the things that evolved, the best things that happen, I think, are the things that come out of authentically out of communities, right? So, um, what, what ended up happening, the cut to is that we started a soul scholarship program, um, which goes into basically high schools, um, and, you know, the kids later on in high school, um, and we make the studios available to them. And a lot of the people, the instructors teach those classes and there are kids that go on. I mean, we do tons of mentoring inside of there and resume building and like other skill sets as well to help these kids. And, you know, the amazing thing is, is that the attendance rate was, you know, in the high nineties percent, like nobody blew off these classes. And even if a kid was sick or injured, like they would still come to hear the music and feel the energy of being in that kind of a room because they really value being in it. So, you know, look, it is true that in our case, in New York City, in the neighborhoods in which we started and you know have moved across the country, that we are in convenient neighborhoods for people who are, you know, working full time and have busy lives and have disposable income. Um, and it is also true that, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, set the weather um, with with people who are, are going to, you know, start something, start start people changing their habits. Right. So um, we have looked at. So we anyway, we do that program, which is a fantastic program and it has a huge amount of impact. I don't have any statistics on it, but um, I know from part, having participated in it and being, being having been a mentor in it um, that it has been a very touching actually for me to be involved with probably just as much or more um, than, than with those kids. Um, so I think we really try to, to make things as accessible as we can while still operating business. I've done this interview backwards because I always start with meditation, but just because I'm geeking out because I'm sitting face to face with a person who invented the brand that has become a big part of our family's life. I, I started talking about soul cycle, but let me now finally get to meditation. So you've been doing it for a while. How did, how and why did you start? Um, I, 
<laughs> I just thought, it's so funny because um, meditation has been a part of my life for a long time, actually, and in, in not, not consistently. So I am not a lifelong meditator, although at times I've really aspired to that. But in, um, I got introduced to it in high school. And then um, when I was in college, I did a study abroad program that happened to be a Buddhist studies program that happened to be in a monastery. Where? Um, in India, in Bogaya, India. Oh, wow, you did that program? Y- yes, I We've did. had previous guests who've been in that program. Oh, you have? Bogaya, India, uh, the place where the Buddha got enlightened. Yes. Um, and now like a, 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 a sort of a, a Buddhist mecca of yeah. sorts where all the different schools of Buddhism from many different countries come and set up shop. That's right. Um, and uh, so David Gellis, who's a writer for the New York Times, business writer for the New York Times and has written about meditation and is also a personal friend of mine, did that program and got really into meditation as a consequence. So that's amazing that you did that. program. I had no idea. I haven't met very many people who've done that program. That's, that's of course, like you would find them. Um, and so I, so I did that in college and I loved that program. I learned a lot about the different styles and traditions and, um, it definitely really impacted me. And then it was really interesting. I came back from that trip and my aunt's father had, um, said to me, why are you so interested in Buddhism? Buddhism is for old people. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to go and fall in love and be crazy and do all these things. <laughs> and it was funny because I loved the program that I did, but it was really hard. It's really hard to sit and meditate for 45 minutes and to do, to do these many day retreats. And I found, I've really struggled. I, it was did not come naturally or easily to me. And I just thought that was a really funny comment. He said, it's really for old people who like need to calm their mind. And it's so funny because... Um, when we were doing, uh, when we were building the business, uh, Julie and I both found like our meditation on the bike. We would find those like three minutes of stillness inside of all the the noise and chaos of all these spinning wheels and this crazy Rihanna music or whoever that we were playing that day. Probably the hip hop we were finding like our peaceful moment, which is funny. And um, we would always like find that quietude, and I think a lot of people do. And so that really became our meditation. But I felt like I needed more meditation just because of the training that I had had and I kind of missed it and also things were so busy and and so I, we were scheduled on the 20 minutes we were always just there was always so much going on I really felt a, a draw to that that um, I started getting back into it and I thought it would be fun um, <laughs> fun might be the wrong word but I actually did think it would be fun to start all of our so um, we decided we were going to have meetings once a month and uh, as the company grew, we wanted everybody to stay connected. And so we would do these group meetings, these like teleconference meetings um, with all the different studios and the studio managers and um, all over the country, all at the same time, everybody together. And we would start the meeting with um, a three-minute meditation. So everybody, whether you were in Dallas or whether you're in Chicago or Los Angeles or New York or wherever you were, everybody would start the meeting. Obviously, you know, everybody would we'd set the agenda and all that. And then we would meditate for three minutes. And we used to joke that it was the longest three minutes of the month because <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it went on forever. I was like so self-conscious that I was making all these hundreds of people like sit or asking, not making, well, kind of making actually, um, sit in silence. But I, I always noticed after the three minutes were up that... Things were just at a different, there was a different vibration that happened um, as a result of you kind of looked at how things felt before we started and then where we finished. And um, I just, I loved that. And it's funny, I've talked to a bunch of friends of mine who run companies, CEOs and things, and uh, a couple of people have started using those in their meetings. And I, I think that's, I think, I think that's pretty cool. And what about, what about your 
personal practice do you talked about inconsistency which by the way is super common um and i actually don't think something to get too self-conscious about but are you have you are you at a moment now where you have a regular practice yes i am thank god (laughs) i love it i um i have been sitting in the morning and um and what is your practice when you say you sit in the morning what what is it well it's interesting i i sit for uh 22 minutes and um set a timer i set a timer on my iPhone, and I need to find a, a better gong because it's really not a good one. Um, and what do you do in your mind for those 22 minutes? I, I breathe. I um, You know, it's funny. I started, when I got back into it, I started with Headspace. I really like what Andy's doing. Um, Andy Puttycomb, head, yeah. Headspace app. Future, love him. Love that. Love future, the Future guest on this podcast, he and I have been emailing him. Oh, good, yes. good. Yeah, he's lovely. And um, I what I really love about it is it's super accessible. Um, and I was looking for some tools to share with our team and really, really like that um, and had met him and just really li- loved him. Um, so started with that. Really liked it. I like the idea of starting with 10 minutes and then slowly increasing it because it's it's hard to sit for 20 minutes. Um, at least I found it was with without um, some practice. So uh, I started with that. And then I just realized that um, – I just needed a timer. And what I like to do was just to watch my breath. And sometimes like I'll uh, repeat um, some kind of sound, um, whether it's some kind of ohm or some kind of sound that comes to mind. But mainly, um, it's funny, one of my friends, uh, Jai Ashmore, who has Open Dharma, um, I did that program in India with her, and she is a very well-known uh, meditation instructor. She teaches a lot in Europe and in, in India. She's not as well-known in this country, but she's somewhat known. Um, she's fantastic and amazing. Um, she'd be a very interesting person to have on your podcast. But anyway, she talks about um, the space behind the thoughts. And I love that. Um, and I realized, um, actually... That when I find that space behind the thoughts that I really just sink into a place that it just it, it feels really good and my brain feels really happy. And um, that's that's like kind of my that's my hook um, and why I want to continue to do it on a daily basis and and realizing also the. The brain changes that it can affect. So um, there's also a woman named Sarah Gottfried. Um, she's written a bunch of books, uh, Hormone Cure, um, a book called Younger. Um, she's written probably four or five books. Um, and she she's a functional medicine specialist, and she does she lives in Berkeley. And I met her at a conference, and she was just talking to me about when you get into those brain waves and what it actually does for your brain. And it's one of those things where, you know, when people say things to you that they don't need to say twice. <laughs> <laughs> And she's, she was talking about that place, which I realized is the place behind the thoughts. And when um, when I started to like feel that again after all these years, I realized like that's where where I need to be. And it's also really great for your brain. And um, I'm I want my brain to be healthy for as long as it possibly can. <laughs> yeah, the place behind the thoughts. John Kabat-Zinn, the famous meditation yeah. teacher, talks about the mind as a waterfall. I use this analogy a lot too. So if you think about um, the water as our nonstop stream of consciousness, mostly me, me, me thoughts. The space behind the thoughts is 
otherwise known as mindfulness, is like the crevice in the rock face behind the waterfall mm -hmm. that allows you to kind of step out of that stream and to view all of your thoughts with mm -hmm. some non-judgmental remove so that they don't own you. And that is the fruit of mindfulness meditation, which is the ability to see your thoughts as just thoughts, not necessarily fact. Mm -hmm. And um, so you're describing it beautifully. What, what would you say the impact on your daily life has been of having a more abiding practice? Well, I'll tell you what's really interesting is I notice when I don't do it, how I don't feel well. And I didn't expect that. Um, I've been, we've been traveling quite a bit and it, I find it hard sometimes with travel to sit. And I, I realized that I had gotten out of practice and I just like, I don't, something's not right. And I realized that was what was not mm -hmm. right. And so just to get back and, and sit. And I, I also realized like I make time for um, social media and as soon as I realize that I'm making time for social media, I just put put my phone away, set the timer so that I can sit. Um, and it, it allows me just kind of like every, any, everything that was there before will still be there when I get back to it. So I really realized that it does um, just how better I do feel and how grateful I am for that and how easy it is because it's just so accessible if you just make the time. That's right. <laughs> and I, I often say to people that, because people worry a lot about falling off the wagon and, and I, you know, I get it. Uh, um, but one of the benefits of falling off the wagon is you can see more clearly the benefits of meditating. Yeah. You, your inner weather becomes a lot more um, obnoxious and to, to be able to see that is, can be quite powerful. So what, t t tell me a little bit about your life today. So you left the company in 2016. Why and what are you doing now? Well, I've, I, <laughs> it's uh, okay. So, uh, Julie and I ran the company for uh, 10, 11 years, and we had taken a partner who was a majority partner, and they wanted to... Equinox. Yeah. And they a bunch of things happened, and they wanted to buy most of the rest of the company. And so we stayed for a year to help, you know, make that as as good for them as possible. And then it became time for us to go. So... Um, that must be so weird. I mean, I started a company... I co-founded a company two years ago, which, which uh, actually is in competition with Andy. Uh, we teach meditation through an app, and I can't – it's called 10% Happier. I can't it's imagine so at some point stepping away from my baby. Yeah. No, I didn't realize that it was a baby when we sold the um, majority of it. People kept on saying, like, it's not a child. You know, you have your children. And then <laughs> – you obviously have never built something before because clearly this is a very big child and a very important child and a love child with Julie. Um, and so it was hard. It was super hard. Oh, my God. It was really, really hard for both of us in different ways, but definitely hard. Um, and um, but it's funny how things work out. Um, I, it ended up, I ended up having a lot of gratitude for the timing around it. Both of my parents were sick last year. My dad actually passed away mm, a year I'm ago sorry. today. I'm sorry. Um, and it, it's just, it's like really interesting how I would never have really been able to have the space or time to have, um, attended to them in the way that I really needed to, if I had been needing to, you know, take care of companies and employees and shareholders and 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 that so it really it's it's so funny how it just worked out so beautifully for me personally and then um for julie like she's like a shark that has to swim or she'll die like she's we were just we um 
I'll get to that in a second. But anyway, so she so she went back and is doing some amazing work at WeWork and is really enjoying the communities and building some cool things there. She loves to build stuff. We both do. Uh, but I needed to attend to some personal stuff. And and she's been working and, and thriving and, and getting to do things that she should be doing. So it's it's actually oddly great how things have worked out. Um, we miss SoulCycle every day. It's a piece of our heart. And um, You're still on the board? No, not so anymore. So if you walk into a soul, do you still go to Soul Cycle? Well, this is the thing. I've been. I'm back in town. I um, <laughs> I took my family on a fa- we decided to go on a family sabbatical, and I got back yesterday. Oh, and um, how, how long? So were we've you? been gone for six months. We've been gone, um, and we're going to go away for a little bit more. Um, but I just kind of felt like I'm going to take my kids out of school. They're going to go to school online. We're gonna we're gonna you know where'd you go try some different things. We've been traveling. We we um I lived in Colorado for a long time, so we went back to Colorado and rooted ourselves there. I joined a curling team. <laughs> I'm a terrible curler, but I had a great time doing it. And um, we skied, but the snow conditions were fine. But worst can snow get conditions in 50 years. But we were in Telluride, and the the people there are amazing, and they they made the ski mountain so fantastic in spite of the conditions. Um, so we skied a lot and um, we like randomly traveled. Like one day my husband said, I want to go skiing in Japan and I'm like, I'm checking my five weather apps and there's going to be powder there next Friday. Let's go. This is what happens when you sell a company. Right. And <laughs> when you have miles, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, we certainly, you know, got we have some money, which is extremely helpful. Um, but we also just made the time and the space to do it and took the risk to my, I have a kid in high school. Like most people won't take a sophomore in high school out of school. Um, but she's been going to, they both been going to school online and kind of living differently. We just got back from them doing a theater program in the Galapagos and living with these amazing families in this really modest community and, um, putting on this crazy theatrical performance of, with tons of props and, and just, living things a little bit differently. So it's been, it's been fantastic. I've had the best time. I thought everybody else was going to have a better time than I did, but I definitely had the best time. <laughs> so you, so you haven't done soul cycle in that whole time. No, I haven't been, I've been having to train myself, which is really interesting because having listened to all those incredibly talented, beautiful people for all those years, like speak to me and inspire me and motivate me. I had to listen to their voices or my own voice to get myself to do things every day. And I did it. And it was it was great. And I'm I'm not saying I'm as good as they are, but I did it. So you were actually biking on your own? I wasn't biking because I didn't have access to a bike, but I, I was doing a bunch of other things. And I think that's something that Julie talks about a lot, that once your inner coach gets into your own head, kind of like your wife, right? Like once you find that that place where you, you commit to something, you get into the practice of doing it, even if you're you might really miss the physical activity, but you can turn that into something else, whether it's a hike or a run or a swim or a whatever, or a boxing or whatever it is, like whatever you have access to, you can turn that thing that you have access to into the coach that you that you heard um, at SoulCycle. I'm sensitive to your time because I um, uh, because. We've already been going for oh. almost an hour, oh but I, I and I you probably have other things to do. But let me just ask one last question. Um, you clearly have an incredible amount of success with with building a business. Uh, this boutique uh, fitness. What do you think about boutique meditation? Walk at these meditation drop in spots that are popping up in 
New York and Miami and L.A. and Austin, Texas. Um, do you think do you see a business there? I think that it proves that there's a business there. People are doing it. Um, I don't know how big a business it is. Um, I, I mean, I love what Susie's doing in L.A. with Unplug. Susie Aleph Schwartz. Fantastic. And uh, Mindful has incredible programming here. Um, and those are the only two that I'm really aware of. Um, I, for me personally, I like the convenience of being able to meditate on my own. I don't need to be meditating in community. I am not accountable. Now I am. But before we started Soul Cycle, I was not an accountable enough human being to be able to do fitness on my own. Absolutely not. No way. Could not happen. Like zero chance. Like uh, less than zero. So I really needed a community to plug into um, that I had signed up for and that I was accountable to so that I could change my habits. Um, now that I did that for so many years, I'm I'm better at it. I'm not saying I'm as good as going to one of those classes, but I definitely have changed my habits. Um, and I don't know what it's going to take for people to meditate. I really don't. Uh, I think that remains to be seen. What's next for you? Oh, my gosh. I have been having a great time um, helping people start companies and um, helping them get off the ground. I've been working with a lot of uh, seed A and B, A series. Um, this is a term that people use for fundraising. I didn't know that until recently because we self-funded. But, um, you know, I've just been helping companies and, and been working with CEOs um, to just help them kind of problem solve and, and get through stuff that's you know, bogging them down, trying to find out ways to just help everybody fly and and make these things happen faster and smarter and stronger. And I've really loved it. I've been really enjoying it. It's been super fun. And, and I get to come and do podcasts with amazing people <laughs> like you. So things are good. Thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for having me, Dan. It was great to be here. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. 
For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.